0: And Popper leaves for corner! Magnificent! It's Morais, he's done it again! He has fizzed it into the bottom corner.
1: And Vardy for Chowdhury. He's
0: set for Manizana! He is one bright young
1: thing! Alison saw Salah running from his own half, so here mosala salata suddenly in front of the crowd there's no feeling like that feeling and now you've got to believe them you have got to believe them what's up guys welcome back to the 3PL podcast again a massive thank you to everyone who continues to listen every week We're back with a different episode today with an international break going on. So there's no Premier League action, but we know it's the last one of the year. So no more international football till at least next March, which is great for us. Um, This week instead, we'll be chatting about our favourite Premier League moments um, of all time. So we're going to give you three each and then we'll debate for the top one that we all agree on. So, um, yeah, I'm going to throw it over to you, Peter. Kick things off.
0: Yeah, thanks. So I'm going to kick off with actually the, the oldest incident, we'll call it, from from my list that I've selected. We're going back all the way to 2009 for this moment so got to have a good memory to pick this one out but I reckon most people that were around at the time or watching football at the time will will have vivid memories of seeing this if not live but definitely on match of the day at some point. We're going back to a match between Liverpool and Sunderland where a balloon slash beach ball uh, got involved in the goal scoring moment, deflected a shot past Pepe Reina one of the most bizarre moments you'll ever see in a Premier League football match. I think it was actually a, a Liverpool fan that threw the ball onto the pitch and ended up costing their team a goal with a shot that was going to be easily saved, I think, if it hadn't hit the ball and then just flew into the net. The funny thing at the time was that I don't think most of the players even realised what had happened because nobody really complained to the referee or anything. It was only when you watched the um, the highlights afterwards that you could kind of see what had happened. I just thought it was hilarious at the time. I still find it hilarious every time I've seen it. And it's got to be up there with my favourite moments.
1: Yeah, it's a really good one. Uh, I remember this really vividly, actually. Uh, obviously, Sunderland back then were fairly decent in the Premier League. And was it Darren Bent who who was credited with the goal? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's just one of those moments where you think, how can anything be as crazy? Like I've never seen anything like that in the Premier League and probably never will now. VARS around. I don't think that would have been allowed back in the day. But the fact that the, the ball even struck the beach ball is just such a coincidence. You know, like what are the chances of it actually going there? And then once it came off the beach ball, I mean, I can't remember who the goalkeeper was for Liverpool. Absolutely no chance. I mean, the ball was basically <laughs> straight into the back of the net by a beach ball deflection, which was a yeah crazy scene. So yeah, I think it definitely
2: notable and probably worthy to be on the top three list. I reckon. Yeah, I have to agree. It was such a funny moment to happen. This. It's almost surreal that it that it happened. Like, you could never believe in a million years that a fan from your own team has thrown a ball on it and it's screwed over your own side. It's just hilarious. And it's even hilarious, more hilarious that it happened to Liverpool. The team, which is always the... And I, I say this with a brave term, always the victims. It's their own fault. <laughs> you have to be careful when you use that
1: term, especially <laughs> with the history they've had. But, um, yeah, I mean... I wonder what kind of stick that Liverpool fan got after this game for throwing that beach ball on. You know his mates were on him the whole way home. I don't think they got a result in that game as a repercussion of that deflection. But um, you know it's not gone down well. So maybe he's got that beach ball somewhere at home just on a mantelpiece. That would be great.
0: Yeah, I think it just goes to show if anyone ever tells you as a fan that you can't have an impact on your team's fortunes, it just proves that you definitely can. Um, Not necessarily in a good way, um, but certainly... That, that guy definitely had an impact on that match, and I'm sure he'll never forget that
1: moment. Right, from the ridiculous to the sublime, I'm going to change things up a bit and go for a goal um, from even further back than what Peter just said, from uh, the year 2000. And it was um, Thierry Henry's goal versus Manchester United at Highbury. I don't know if people remember, but it was one of the most iconic goals in Premier League history, in my opinion. This was back when Arsenal were at their best. They had a midfield of, you know, Limburg, Perez, Vieira, and... Um, this was just almost the pinnacle of how it started, in my opinion. You know, Yeah, Arsenal just about coming into their prime and this goal kind of just summed up the talent that Thierry Henry was and his ability. The ball gets played into his feet and then his first touch is to instinctively not lay it off to someone else, but to flick it up. And then his second touch, he goes for a volley from 30 yards out, a looping volley which dips right over Fabian Barthez's head, right into the corner. And yeah, this is just, for me, probably the best goal in Premier League history in terms of ability and... The almost shock value of it it was such a great strike and from and Ree who's gone down to be one of the most exciting players to watch in Premier League history I think this was just like two things that just summed up Arsenal and how good they were back then um, especially against the United team who went bad either this goal came against the United team probably in their heyday you know midfield of Beckham's goals Keane gigs but you know there's nothing any of them could have done to prevent this goal and it, yeah for me it was just iconic.
0: Yeah, that really was the glory days of the Man United-Arsenal rivalry that we all sort of grew up watching and loving. And the rivalry that doesn't really exist in the same way anymore, I definitely feel like this goal just summed up the passion of those games. Those goals come about in games that mean something and like they're big moments. And for him to score in that way in that game was just sensational. The thing that strikes me as so amazing about it when you watch it again is how little time there is between the first touch where he chips it up and the moment that he strikes it on the volley, which almost suggests that he knew exactly what he was going to do before the ball came to him. It wasn't like his first touch went up in the air and he thought, oh, I'll hit this. It was almost like he planned the entire thing perfectly in his head and he executed it perfectly and what we got was basically a a perfect goal. So yeah, I can't really argue with that. It definitely deserves a spot in the, the top moments ever. Maybe not if you're an, uh, an out-and-out United fan, but you have to suck those up sometimes.
2: I think even the most hardcore United fans would have to just stand up and applaud that goal. It's, it's definitely one of the greatest goals there's ever been. It's such... It's the elegance of it. I know Henri always, to me, was one of the most elegant strikers there were. The way he moved around the pitch with grace, speed and power, and the way he always seemed to slot it into that bottom corner so often. But this one's just... Just out of the world, like you said, Peter, the way he's so casually like, prepared for it, like the way he flicks it up, volleys it. And also, a lot has to be say, said for the Arsenal fans that day and the Arsenal fans who used to get into the Highbury ground. They go mad. Every time you watch that video back, you just see the scenes. And it's something which, I think, ever since, Emirates has never quite captured that same passion of that ground. Everything about that goal is just beautiful. It's one of the great, definitely up there is one of the great moments. Oh, I forgot to mention as well that
1: Arsenal that season had probably one of the best Premier League kits in history as well. You know, the Nike reds and white with the Dreamcast logo across the front. I don't think any um, casual football fan will see that kit and, and be disappointed or have bad memories associated with it. It was just, yeah, beautiful kit, beautiful goal.
2: And interestingly, my first one goes down the exact same route. It's a Dennis Bergkamp goal against Newcastle. 2001-2002 season. A touch again of just pure excellence, just out of this world. It was just, ball comes into him, he's got his back to the goal, flicks it around one way, goes around the other, past the defender, and just slots it away. It's just, oh, words can't say how great it was. It's just one of the finest goals there's ever been. Making a lot of weird noises over there.
0: (laughs) That's, That's what great goals do to you. They make you make some very strange noises. Gary Neville will tell you that. I, I'm going to be slightly controversial here and and say that this this goal is one of the biggest flukes in in football history, in my opinion. Ooh. There's absolutely no way Dennis Bergkamp meant that first touch to go where it did. A bit like Gabriel Jesus definitely didn't mean that that first touch to go where it did last weekend, in my opinion. Massive fluke, but still a lovely goal. Great to watch, but yeah, I'm just going to have to rain on the parade a bit there.
1: Sorry, I guess I'll come in and save the day a little bit and we'll back you up. To me, I think it was preempted. I do think Burkamp meant to do something with the ball when he went to control. It, it definitely isn't a miscontrol because of the way he moves after he touches the ball for the first time. He sees where it's going straight away when he moves around the Newcastle defender to, you know, to finish it. And I think someone of his class and quality can't really associate with a fluky touch. I think he's shown enough in the Premier League, especially, you know, in the mid two thousands, just how clinical he was as a striker. And how classy he was as well. And I think, for me, because he did this on a regular basis, it makes me seem like it was, you know, less likely to be a fluke. Yeah, really great goal. I remember it. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Whether it's a top three moment for me, I'm not too sure. But um, it kind of just summarises everything that Arsenal were about back then. And, yeah, it was a great moment, I guess.
2: I was just about to say that. it's, it's That side, what a fabulous, fabulous side. And it's just it's a shame Arsenal's never quite reached that height again. I've... Um, not even quite, they're a long way off these days. What a fabulous team they had and it's, it's all gone downhill so quickly for them. All right, next up, I'm going to mix things up a tad, uh,
1: not goals. I'm going with a fight between Lee Bowyer and Kieran Dyer from 2005. Something that I don't think the Premier League has ever seen before and I don't think it will ever see anything again, uh, anything similar to this. It was probably one of the craziest things I've ever seen on football pitch. I wasn't in the stadium, but I remember it very vividly, watching it on Match today and thinking, how can two players be that pissed off with each other that they're throwing punches? I mean, there's quite a lot of backstory to this, to be honest. I, I did a bit of research. I mean, I remember it really vividly, but I thought there must be a fairly valid reason for them to be fighting. So I did do my research. It was in a game against Aston Villa, Newcastle at home, having a bad season under Graham Souness. Yeah, apparently throughout the game, Lee Bowyer was convinced that Kieran Dyer was deliberately not passing the ball to him as it was Kieran Dyer said the reason I don't pass to you is because you're shit that's basically what he said to Lee Bowyer and um, that didn't go down too well but before that even I mean this game was going terribly for Newcastle as it was because they were 1-0 down and I don't know if you will remember this or the football fanatics out there or Newcastle fans Stephen Taylor the centre-back got a straight red for a handball on the line Darius Vassell managed to round the Newcastle keeper and the last man back was Stephen Taylor and he tried to get in front of the ball and, and he used his hands very evidently, but he faked. he faked being injured instead of using his hands. And he had a thought he had like an abdominal injury. Referee saw through it, so he was sent off. And then these two got in a fight. They were both going at each other. There was shirts being ripped. They were throwing punches. They both got sent off as well. So Newcastle at this point were down to eight players. And yeah, I mean, Newcastle lost the game. And it was just an absolute embarrassment to Newcastle Football Club, really. And it was amazing that these two players went on to make a good amount of appearances for Newcastle after this. Um Graham Soonas after the match challenged them both to fight it out, but they both refused. I think that would have been great content for everyone. But unfortunately that didn't happen. And they both went on to make a good another thirty appearances for Newcastle, which is somewhat amazing. But yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to be in that dressing room after the match with uh Graham
2: Soonas there. Uh definitely not. If you have you ever seen the picture of Graham Souness with the flag in the middle of the Turkey derby? If not, go watch it. So he he picks up the flag of, uh, I think it's Galatasaray, and he runs out into the centre against Nibarchi. puts the flag down, the police come on, and they have to, like, the right police have got the shields above his head, there's things getting thrown at him. A man who's willing to take on that crowd in Turkey where it's nuts, I would never want to walk into the dressing room to be Lee Bowyer or Kieran Dyer, because you know he's going to go crazy at you. One of my, like, favourite moments of that is when, I'm pretty sure it's Alan Shearer has Lee Bowyer by the neck as he's like trying to drag him away. His shirt's ripped and the ref comes over to red card him. And you just suddenly see Shearer's face going from like annoyed at Bowyer to even more angry. He's like, what do you mean you're sending him off? They're fighting each other. It's our own team. As if that is like a genuine reason for you not to send off two players who've been having a scrap on the pitch.
0: Yeah, like you, Matt, I, I have such vivid memories of this. Actually, I remember watching this. It's back in the days when, they, obviously, you didn't have social media, so you didn't hear about everything the minute it happened. So, obviously, this happened on the Saturday, and it was around the time that I wasn't necessarily you know old enough to be staying up every night to watch Match of the Day late. So I watched this on the Match of the Day Sunday morning repeat, or maybe that we videotaped it on Saturday night and we were watching it on the Sunday morning. I remember watching it while my dad was doing the ironing, and I remember we were both just sat there just in absolute awe watching that moment, just having no idea that this had occurred nearly 24 hours ago, just seeing this bizarre incident happening. And it was all I spoke about for about a week after that. Whenever I saw someone, I was like, did you see the fight on the Newcastle game? Did you see the fight on the Newcastle game? I thought it was the best thing ever. And honestly, I can't believe I didn't think of this myself when we were planning our, our top moments, because it, it really is a great one.
1: Yeah, it's funny as well, because you associate fighting and football as being you know something that just shouldn't happen ever and um, you see it all the time in the NHL, the Ice Hockey League and I think it's something that would add a lot of value to Premier League actually. I mean <laughs> maybe not as the, the main event you know to see two players fight but I mean if you see two players scrapping I'd love to see it actual play, actually play out and you know if the worst that happens is they both get sent off then you know so be it but I think it would make a, for an entertaining spectacle especially in games like the Newcastle, Aston Villa.
0: Yeah, it certainly had an interesting twist to it, wouldn't it? If referees just stepped back and let it unfold. We all get to watch that, but maybe not one for the football purists. But, you know, it'd be a nice idea for a couple of matches here and there. Although I think most people would be glad that people like Roy Keane aren't playing anymore if uh, if you're allowed to have fights on the pitch. I don't think many people would want to challenge him. Or maybe Vinnie Jones would be up there as well.
2: In a similar line, not so much about great goals or about the football, but all about the celebration. My one is Adebayor playing for Man City against Arsenal, when he just turns and runs the length of the pitch and slides on his knees into the Arsenal fans who are baying for his blood. You can see things getting thrown onto the pitch. You see the pure, disgruntled anger. It's just so much passion. And I thought it was one of the most funny celebrations I've ever seen in my life. I was crying with laughter. I kept on watching it back and back. Oh, it was fabulous. It was just great watching. It was just... One of those, uh, to me, one of the most iconic moments I've ever seen. One of the most iconic celebrations.
1: Yeah, this was a weird moment. I didn't really associate Adebayor with, you know, having that kind of angst or pumped-up aggression towards Arsenal. I thought he had a pretty good career there until he moved to City, but then after he scored this goal, it seems like some kind of inner demon or some kind of inner, you know, feeling towards Arsenal just came out of him. He was like, I just can't resist, other than to go all the way down to the other end of the pitch and rub it in their faces. Yeah, it was a ballsy celebration, especially from someone. Like him, I mean, you know, he wasn't exactly a superstar at this point. I think he could have easily been ridiculed uh, in the news. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans, you know, berated him after the game. And rightly, rightly so, I don't think it was an appropriate thing to do. But... You know, fair play to him. He got into the fans' faces, and yeah, like you said, like everybody loved it. It was really entertaining to watch these these iconic celebrations. Sometimes are more memorable than the goals themselves. Like I can't remember the goal that Adebayo scored, but everybody remembers that celebration.
0: Yeah, that's the funny thing because I, I actually I did watch this earlier when I was sort of looking doing a bit of research for this, and I saw this goal in this moment. The goal itself was actually really good. It was a great header. Like he absolutely leapt like a salmon and scored an amazing header but as you said no one remembers the goal you just remember the celebration and i think it's it's one of those moments where if you're if you're anything other than an arsenal fan you love it and you think it's a fantastic moment if you're an arsenal fan who was in that away section when that happened i re- i reckon the the blood still boils whenever you see that because you'd remember the the emotion and the anger of that moment i can certainly imagine if it was someone doing that against my own team i would be absolutely fuming it would be very very hard to contain the anger so I can't necessarily say I blame them for the way they reacted, but at the same time, lobbing broken chairs onto the pitch is not necessarily a good idea. Probably not going to do you any favours in terms of keeping hold of your season
2: ticket. One of the best parts of it was it was the quickest Adebayor ever ran for City, I'm sure of it. <laughs> he is just going at such pace. None of the rest of his players can like keep up with him on the celebration. It's absolutely caning it the whole length of the pitch. He almost looks tired by the end. And it's such an epic knee slide oh it's just Ballon d'Or just for that
0: <laughs> yeah I don't think there's a it's I don't think there is an award is there for best goal celebration but I feel like that that may be something we should create retrospectively and do a best of the best that'd be quite fun um going, going away from goal celebrations but back to exceptional goals this one's a bit of a a personal favourite for me we're talking about Andy Carroll's bicycle kick against Crystal Palace back in 2017 so a fairly recent moment considering some of the the moments we've spoken about already for me this is just one of those moments that personally I'll never forget watching this go in from the stands it was an absolutely huge game for us we were on a terrible run of form it was 5 days after uh, Slavin Bilic announced that Dimitri Payet had said he wanted to leave the club and was refusing to play. So there was a real, real negative feeling around the club at the time. I remember going to that match and there were security guards around the picture of Dimitri Payet outside the stadium because of how pissed off everyone was. And just being in that stadium, you could almost feel that if we'd lost that game, it was going to be a really, really bad way to be leaving and a pretty terrible atmosphere walking out. We'd already gone 1-0 up at the moment that Andy Carroll scored this bicycle kick, but it was... It was almost like that that goal making it a two-goal advantage and the way it was scored. There was the the relief of the goal going in. There was the absolute amazement that Andy Carroll would manage to do something like that. And then there was also an element, I think, in most people's mind of fear that he would probably injured himself in some way, scoring a goal that acrobatic. The funniest thing for me, actually, was that I was on the phone when that goal went in. I was on call for work. I got an emergency call came through and I happened to be on the phone to a plumber at the time that uh, the goal went in. I screamed very loudly and put the phone down and then had to phone him back five minutes later to apologise and explain that Andy Carroll had scored a bicycle kick and he, he sort of understood why I'd made such a loud noise at that point. But yeah, for me, just a, a great memory, one that I think I'll, I'll have probably for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, such a cool memory, especially um being in the stadium to witness something like that. I think we all probably remember the goal itself, but being in the stadium and seeing it from a unique angle of your seat must be something quite, quite special to witness. But yeah, I remember the goal really well and like you says, um, seeing Andy Carroll turn up with something like that was, um, yeah, baffling. I didn't think he could get his body that high off the ground. Fair play to him, and, and the connection he got on the ball as well wasn't just a, you know, like a soft mishit volley into the into the back of the net. It was like a full on, full tilt volley right past the keeper, no chance, top corner. I mean, yeah, no keeper in the world saved in that. And yeah, fair play to Andy Carroll. I mean, at least he's got that to look back on, you know, when his career's over you know, his highlight reel. He's going to have that probably right at the very end in slow motion with the Titanic music in the background. <laughs> you know, just the, the probably the best moment of his career, maybe not in terms of achievement-wise, but definitely ability-wise. I think, you know, he won't score a better goal than that in his career. And um, yeah, very, very memorable goal. And especially coming from someone, you know, who had been largely disappointing in most of the teams that he'd played for at this point. So yeah,
2: fair play to Andy Carroll for creating something pretty, pretty magical. Because so often you see a bicycle kick where it's like, They're always epic. A bicycle kick is one of the most epic goals. But the way the angle and the way, like Matt said, it gets so much lift and power on it and it just kind of whips into the top corner. Just you repeating it, it's just suddenly that goal has just sprung back in my mind. It's in the new ground as well, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was. So it was was the first season in the new stadium and it was was going really badly. And it was the first sort of, it was the first real big moment that we had that we can sort of look back as like a, a great memory from that stadium, I think because all the best memories before that were kind of tinged by the fact that Dimitri Payet was involved with them, and we all hated him by that stage. So it was quite nice to have a memory that we could look back on with fondness as
1: well. Okay, moving on to my next one, Um, going back away from this one as well, actually. Well, only like 11 years, but even still. Um, Yeah, this is Makeda's goal versus Aston Villa. You know, I won't hide or deny that I was a closet United fan for most of my life, probably up until the age of fifteen. And at that point, you know, United were pretty decent to be fair. And and after all their success and Alex Ferguson, they started to decline a little but they didn't stop them winning things. And um in 2009 I guess this was a really good summary of like where United were at. Yeah, this goal just will always stick in my head because of the nature of it. Um, you know, a seventeen year old coming off the bench for his debut and to score the winner in the fashion that he did was just outstanding, in my opinion. Yes, he's never really gone on to amount to anything since. In fact, he's actually on his 10th club, I believe now, after Manchester United. But, you know, this um, this goal itself was just iconic in so many ways. A little bit of background as well to this. United were coming off a two-game losing streak. And, you know, they were, they were top of the league for a long time, but then they were losing ground to the clubs below them. And then they go into this game against Aston Villa with some key players uh, missing through suspension. Um, Paul Scholes, um was out of the game and you know I think Wayne Rooney was suspended as well and so they had to fill the bench with mostly reserve players or under-18s under, under 18s. and um, yeah, they rolled the dice brought on Makeda with about half an hour to go and in the 90th minute he pops up at the edge of the box with an absolutely insane first touch um, takes the defender completely out of the game and then as he's losing his balance and almost like striking at the ball in desperation he just finds the perfect connection on the football and curls it around the keeper um, to send Old Trafford into absolute raptures. I remember watching this like over and over again, just seeing the limbs. Uh, like uh, Nothing compares to that last-minute winner feeling. And for May United, this was a massive goal as well. It pretty much sealed title for them that season. And yeah, I mean, what a moment for Makeda. What a moment for United fans. And yeah, something probably a lot of people remember for a long time.
0: Yeah, I to, have to come clean and admit that I was also a, a Man United fan growing up. Um, so that makes two of us. And... I very, very vividly remember this one. I remember watching it uh, live at the time and just just being blown away by it. <clears throat> and and I, I got sort of caught up in the excitement of him as a player. And I remember thinking, oh, my, Man United have found another gem. He's going to be brilliant. Um, and then he went on and he scored six more goals in the time before he left the club in 2014, I think. Um, three of those mm-hmm. goals were for Doncaster Rovers on loan. So he, he didn't turn out the way everyone thought he might, but it, at least... You know, you're talking about Andy Carroll having that bicycle kick to look back on in his highlights reel. I feel like Makeda's highlights reel is probably consists solely of that goal, but what a, what a highlights reel that is still because it was an incredible moment and it was great for us as fans watching, but imagine being him at that, I mean, what was he, 17, 18 years old, scoring the winning goal in that moment at Old Trafford with the weight of the team on his back. What an incredible moment for him.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to lie, at that point, I wasn't a Closet United fan. Instead, (laughs) I was, at the time, a Liverpool supporter. So, memories at the time, not so fond. But I do remember what an impact he had when he first came through. I thought, this is the next, they've done it again. Here's the next big thing. He scored that goal. I seem to feel like he, he scored another one before the end of the season, which was a bit of an epic. Might have been against, like, Sunderland, possibly. I can just remember he scored, near the end, two really good goals. I can remember that. The one which Matt's mentioned against Villa, vivid comes in, a bit of a flick back heel and then slots it away. But how his career just didn't happen. It's just sometimes you just don't know. It's almost shocking that you can go from such a good start and then just disappear out of the way. Yeah, he's now living his best life in, in Greece
1: at Panathinaikos. Less fond memories of him these days. I've had a bet on Panathinaikos the other day and he missed a penalty. So we'll just forget that he did that and remember his, his memories from United. Yeah,
0: what a bloke. Okay, so my final memory going into this. um, Again, one that's sort of got a a personal element of of a good memory to look back on, but this time not uh, involving West Ham. Um, Matt, I think you'll have fairly fond memories of this as well because you were there at the time that we watched it. Um, I'm going with a slightly niche one. The Man City versus Liverpool game on the 3rd of January 2019. Man City won it 2-1. Leroy Sane scored the winning goal. Basically ended up being the match that, decided that Man City won the title instead of Liverpool. Liverpool went into that game unbeaten. There was a huge amount of pressure on it. It was, I think it's probably the last time I can remember watching a Premier League game that felt like it meant that much to both teams involved. And also watching it as technically as a neutral, but knowing full well that I wanted Man City to win because I just really didn't want Liverpool to win the league that season. For me, there was there was an element of excitement in it. For Matt, there was an element of excitement with a great bet that you had... Um, involving Leroy Sane to score and Man City to win 2-1, I think think the scoreline had to be correct so that moment when Sane scored the goal to make it 2-1 was pretty special I remember the atmosphere in the pub being incredible I remember my dad being there watching that he he looks back on that with fond memories as well we had a great time and then it was followed up with the most perfect situation where we realized that I'd left my rucksack in McDonald's about five hours earlier and we had to go on a mission to retrieve it not the obvious reason to remember it as a good game but it's got special memories for me and and just as a game of football it was an incredible match it was great fun And yeah, just a really good evening of pure Premier League
1: football. Um, Now that you talk about it, it, it brings back all the memories and yeah, I'm kind of glad that I didn't even think about it or consider it for my list. I mean, yeah, what a game of football and, and what a night. Yeah, I remember this game really well. Obviously, it was a huge game. Uh, City, Liverpool, then nowadays, is, is one of the bigger games of the season anyway. But um, yeah, back then it was it was huge. And I remember Aguero's first goal, almost an impossible angle that he scored from just absolutely hammering it past. I don't know if it was Alisson in goal at the time or not, but um, yeah, it was a really great finish. And then obviously Sane popping up with the winner, especially with the bet I had on at the time, was just like bittersweet. And yeah, the, the beers were... We're flowing at this point, and um, yeah, what a game of football! And um, yeah, like you said, uh, the night had great memories just aside from that game as well with the, um, the rack sack instrument. But
2: yeah, very memorable both on the pitch and off the pitch. Yeah, it's almost one of those iconic moments, I think, as a rivalry needed. Like, we spoke earlier about the Arsenal-United and the great rivalry they had in the early 2000s. But the Liverpool City, is it's building. It's building towards that direction. And a game like that, just, it needs those matches. It needs those iconic moments and, well, not even match deciding, like league deciding goals to really, like, cement it as one of the biggest games in the league. And I think going forwards, I think now every season, we're always going to be thinking that City-Liverpool game is, that's a big one, and that's one which a lot of us, even as neutrals, will really be looking forward to. So, another moment in which this one I'm in the ground. So, just like yours earlier for your Andy Cowell goal, this is the greatest goal I've ever seen in person. It was Bufal running the length of the pitch, going past players as if it, was, it just didn't even matter. He was, they were tripping over each other. I spent the whole time as he was running directly in front of me towards their goal, screaming, Shoot! Shoot when he got near. And before that, screaming, pass, 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 thinking, Pufa, I was just going to run into another player. The amount of times for us, he, he begged to just, like, he would get the ball, and you think, oh, this is a this is world class player. And then he'd dribble, he'd go past one, two players, and then that'd be it. Nothing happened. He might turn back, run back the way he came. But no, this, this moment, oops, it's definitely the greatest goal I've ever seen in person. It was just fabulous. And I'm pretty sure Matt has very similar memories.
1: Yeah, I mean, my memories aren't too different from yours. I was only stood next to you. So I was pretty much doing the exact same things, minus the uh, yelling shoot at him. I didn't want to distract him at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, he took on about, what, like seven players. And and after he beat like the sixth player, you knew something was coming at the end of it. Everyone just went quiet. There was like a crescendo before, you know, he like slides it into the bottom corner. And at the end of the the run, you didn't expect such a good finish, but the, the finish at the end was perfect. And um yeah, to win a game like that, yes, it wasn't a huge game against West Brom at home, but um what it meant on the day was like more than just um, a win, I guess. It felt like a turning point under a new manager, but turned out to be a bit of a false dawn. Um Pellegrino was not half the manager we thought he was. Didn't last very long, but yeah, for foul himself, I guess. He was renowned for scoring spectacular goals. And yeah, this was one of many for Southampton. Unfortunately, it didn't come very often, but Yeah, I guess we should be fortunate that we were both in the stadium to see this one because I don't think many people see goals like this all the time in matches they go to see live. So, yeah, very grateful. And yeah, what a moment.
0: Yeah, I'm quite jealous of both of you. that You were in the ground for that one because that would have been an amazing moment. My memory of it was slightly different. I was standing in the rain watching it on my phone outside a pub waiting for a date to arrive. Um, So it was slightly different. Um, But I remember watching it at the time and my first thought was, obviously Angus I didn't know you at the time my first thought was oh my god I hope Matt's at this match because that would be an incredible thing to witness in person yeah what a what a goal like from a player who so often didn't perform at the level that he was expected to and that was a glimpse of what he really can do when he wants to when he's at his top form and it's just a shame that he wasn't able to do things like that more often but yeah incredible goal I loved watching it Um, I think it Quite right, rightly, one goal of the season that year. So, you know, no dispute in that whatsoever. Incredible goal, match-winning goal right at the end of the game. Brilliant moment.
1: Moving on to our number one moments of Premier League history. So we each going to put forward our favourite moments that we think is the best in Premier League history. Um, I'm going to start things with Wayne Rooney's bicycle kick against Man City in 2011. For me, this is the best goal in Premier League history, like, without question. Not just because of the game that it came in or the nature of the goal but just everything combined into one man city united rival was kind of in its early stages at this point city had just had the money and you know they were starting to put up a good fight in title races and at this point united were first in the league city were third really big game anyway um in february of that year the game was perfectly poised at one all most of the game um and then Wayne Rooney comes up with the best bicycle kick I've seen. I know we've talked about Andy Carroll's earlier on in this podcast, but um, for me, this one was slightly more impressive, not just because of the player it came from, but the execution of it as well. The fact that Wayne Rooney, a striker who was probably renowned for being like a bit of a, you know, um, and like a natural goal scorer, if anything, you know, just getting in the right positions, finding himself in the right place at the right time. But this was almost like, almost self-constructed, you know, he had to do all the hard work for it. And um the finish was just insane. He peels off the back of company. I think Nani whips the ball into the box. And yeah, for me, it was just a textbook bicycle kick. I've never seen one executed better than this. And um, yeah, Joe harts did no chance in goal and it wins May night of the game. And again, wins them almost the league essentially because, you know, Man City were out of the title race at this point. And yeah, it kind of just opened up the door for United to win the league. And... Again, I think it was probably the best goal that Wayne Rooney scored in his career. And uh, yeah, I'm going to put it out there and say it's probably the best goal that I've seen in the Premier League in in its history or since I've been watching it. So that's why it's my nomination for the best
2: moment of all time. So I I really had to think about this. I I so nearly went with the Aguero moment, which was obviously an incredible thing. But in the end, I had to go with something which always, to me, might be the individual best performance has ever been and... The best goals has ever been like scored by one player in one game. And it's Luis Suarez against Norwich. The four goals he scores in that game. Gotta be the four greatest goals any player scored in a game, like as a collection, all in one go. First the volley from 35-40 yards, which he lobs ruddy. Then there's the the next one's on the half volley from a corner. And that's the worst of them all, and it's on the left, and it's still a ridiculous goal. Next one, he's kind of like doing kicky ups flicks it over a defender's head and then volleys it into the bottom corner, I think. it's, And then the final one is a free kick from like 25, 30 yards, which he gained, pings into top corner. It's just mental. That Norwich team must have hated his side because he seemed to, do not not just once, not twice. He did it like three or four times against so them. I think all overall in the games he played against he scored like 12 goals in like two seasons.
0: Right. Well, I've gone a, a, a slightly different angle Okay. So I've gone with a slightly different approach to this than you guys have. Um, the way I'm looking at it is is the things that make me enjoy football the most. So those moments that just excite you, get the adrenaline going. And for me, the thing that always gets me most excited is a really good comeback win or a really good comeback to rescue a draw in a game that you thought was dead and buried. So there's there's a couple of honourable mentions that I'm going to throw out there just before I, I speak about my favourite one because there was, there was two that I was very close to choosing. The uh, 3-3 comeback um, against Tottenham, um, which was an absolutely incredible moment. The Lanzini goal, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago when it happened and it was just insane. The other one for me was... Uh, a match against Everton at Goodison Park a few years ago, where we were two 0 down going into the 80th minute and came back to win three uh, two, which was just an incredible moment. The Tottenham one probably would have been my top moment if I'd actually been allowed to be in the stadium for it, but I wasn't. Um, so the one that I'm going to go for is just that my favourite moment because it really had everything. Is the final match at Upton Park in which West Ham beat Man United three two. For me, this game, as I said, it just had everything. I got to around the stadium about three or four hours before kickoff i didn't have a ticket for the game so i still had hopes of getting one at the last minute it was just absolute carnage around there i think you probably all remember the videos of the man united team coach getting lobbed with bottles beforehand There there's thousands of fans there who didn't have tickets just to watch it in the pubs i ended up watching it in a pub which to be honest was was incredible anyway the atmosphere was amazing West Ham were on the verge of European football. We'd had the best season we'd had in ages, scored an early goal, then had the devastation of going 2-1 down with two goals from Martial, who was having an amazing season for Man United. And then the absolute scenes when we equalised in the 76th minute, and then the absolute, absolute scenes when we scored the, the goal to win it, to make it 3-2 in the 80th minute. I, I highly doubt you two are going to agree with me that this is the best Premier League moment in all of history. But for me, it will just be like, I will never forget that evening. That was just an incredible moment, and for me, that's what football's all about—is those moments that you you will cherish and treasure for the rest of your life. And that, for me, was just insane. I can still remember the smell of the beer that got soaked all over my head the moment we scored the winner.
1: Yeah, it's difficult to, I guess, judge one or each of these individually. They all mean different things to different people, and like like your memory is so personal because it's the club you support, and it's the last game they had at a stadium that had so many memories in itself so as a non-West Ham or May United fan it's difficult to relate or you know feel the same emotions that obviously you did on that night and have felt since um, definitely worthy of being like a, a moment of Premier League history but for me I guess the fact it was a West Ham game and didn't really have any other implications other than just a, a win on the night and like a, a happy memory for West Ham fans it kind of I guess lacks a little of a little bit of widespread significance um, in terms of like the Premier League on the whole. Really valid um, argument for it though. And, and I imagine all West Ham fans would agree with you. I don't know, I mean, I'm gonna be biased and say that. I think my my moment probably had more of an impact on the Premier League than, than the other two moments. But then that's me looking subjectively at, at one moment and how much it impacted on you know, the title race that season and also the, both the clubs. But um, I'm more than open to listen to, your arguments and,
2: and, you know... Yeah, Angus, what do you reckon? Who's Who's got the better one? See, I, I do like the thought of a... I look very much like yourself, Peter. I love a good comeback. And you've sparked some memories of mine straight away. Not so much your game, but, like, one of the most iconic ones for me was uh, the Newcastle-Arsenal match. I think it was in, like, 2011, roughly. 2010-2011 season. When Arsenal were running away with the match, it was 4-0. And then somehow... Out of nowhere, that Newcastle team drags it back, and yeah, just epic comebacks are amazing. But I'm gonna to have to agree with you here, Matt. Um, the the Suarez one for me is the great some of the greatest goals by a player. But I think the Rooney moment is a bigger one. I'd say I think you're you're right. There is iconic in the way one of just how fabulous a goal is, and it's just out of this world. But also just the sheer scale of the goal and the importance, it's in a derby, it's in the emergence The emergence of a massive derby as well at the time.
0: Yeah, I think, to be honest, you've probably got a clean sweep there, Matt, because I'd, I'd have to agree with you. Um, I have to concede that my one is, is very much a personal memory. So for me, it's massive, but I accept that for the other 19 teams in the league, they'd probably don't really give a shit about it. So uh, that's fair enough. I I equally have very good memories of watching Suarez play. And I think the way he performed in that match against Norwich was absolutely incredible. I'd say it's probably one of the best individual performances we will ever see in the Premier League. So absolutely up there with, with the top. And I think it was one of those games where he really showed why he is one of the best players to ever grace the Premier League pitch. But yeah, in terms of an individual moment, it's hard to argue with Wayne Rooney. The only other thing I can think of that maybe would challenge it, which probably all give an honourable mention to, would be the, the Aguero last minute goal to win the title. Um, the goal that Rooney scored was just such an incredible moment. Like the the execution of it, the fact it was a bicycle kick, as you've both said, in a in a massive derby. Yeah, I think it's probably got all of the ingredients to put it up there with the very
2: best. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a few other moments I'd like to mention just which didn't reach it for me, but I, I feel like they deserve to be said. Obviously, the Leicester, Leicester winning the league, and the Vardy's eleven was it eleven games in a row? He scored, obviously fantastic. But I think the reason why I, I, I didn't want to put them is my option was it was over such a prolonged period of time. The Aguero moment, like you mentioned, and I can understand why again we didn't go with Aguero. At least that moment had that that fever pitch to it it all came at once whereas the Leicester game as amazing it is and their performances throughout the season it was throughout the season it doesn't quite hold the same passion Yeah I did think about other goals as well I remember Jamie Vardy's against Liverpool that season
1: a really iconic goal in itself as well Um, I got a couple of notable mentions as well more comical ones if anything not making the list but very memorable Alan Pardew's headbutt against Hull was one of my personal favourites didn't quite make the list but that was memorable and uh, what a guy and the other one was Roy Carroll's blunder against Tottenham. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was uh, a long-range effort from Pedro Mendes. The halfway line catches Roy Carroll off the line and he fumbles it on the on the goal line, goes behind the goal line and he has to claw it out. Uh, definitely a good two yards into the goal, but wasn't given because there was no VAR. And um, yeah, imagine you know how things would have been different if we had VAR all the way back then. But um, yeah, just some very vivid memories for me, at least, in Premier League history, those ones.
0: Yeah, just one final honourable mention for me that I think would be a shame not to mention would obviously be uh, Stephen Gerrard's infamous slip and Denver Bar's goal. I feel like it would be unfair not to bring that up and just dredge up some bad memories for Liverpool fans because you're having a bit too much of a good time with it at the moment. There's,
2: there's one moment which I'm amazed you've not mentioned. The Palladio Canio. Actually, two moments by Palo One, the iconic goal of his, and then also the one of great sportsmanship when he catches a ball out of the air and goes, oh no, the keeper's down injured. This as a West Ham fan, I thought when you said, oh, this one's personal to me, I, I million, thought, million times thought it was going to be that.
0: Yeah, I think that they both would have been fair shouts. Unfortunately, as as I alluded to earlier, the problem is, I wasn't a West Ham fan at the time that either of those uh, matches happened. If I had been, they probably would be more sort of have more of a personal connection for me. But yeah, both incredible. I mean, his goal probably. I mean, a lot of people have said they think it's the best goal ever scored in the Premier League. I think it's there's possibly been some goals in recent years that I think overtake that now. Rooney's potentially being one of them. Still an incredible goal and an incredible player. And and the moment of sportsmanship is great, but at the same time. We don't watch football for sportsmanship. We watch it for people being horrible to each other and winning matches. So it's not going to be up there with the best for me.
1: Just to caveat that, we do actually support teams uh, for long periods of time. We don't just switch around, as it might might come across in this podcast. We've all been fans of the clubs that we support now for a good 10, 15 years. So uh, don't think of us as glory supporters or anything like that. We are genuine football fans who have supported a
2: club or clubs for a very long time. I think we're, if we're glory supporters, we're slightly deluding which teams we've picked <laughs> to support. There's, there's we're the opposite of glory
0: supporters. <laughs> we've all come from yeah. supporting teams that can win the title to, to supporting teams that are never going to have a hope in hell of winning the title. But
1: Just you wait, Peter. Just you wait. Yeah, it's coming this <laughs> season. We're on it. Right, back to the topic of the Premier League this season. And whilst it's an international break, there's still been a fair bit of action going on. Liverpool's injury crisis has got worse and not just by a little bit it's it's really in a bad place right now they've lost joe gomez to really bad injury probably to keep him out for the season uh trent went down to that injury against man city that's gonna keep him out for a month and then robertson henderson and salah now have all come back from international duty with either niggles or in salah's case covid so yeah they really are depleted at this point and they're missing a good almost seven or eight first team players who would probably start for them and i don't know i guess it's a point of conversation as to whether these injuries are going to affect their their title challenge this season. For me, I definitely think it's going to because yes, every club gets injuries but not to their best players like this and I've never seen a team so injury
2: struck so early on in the season. Yeah, you just can't, you can't replace that back line. You can't lose one of the best right backs in the world, one of the best left backs in the world, the best centre back in the world and not expect to, your team to struggle. There's no way that they're going to come out the other side of this in such a positive way. They might, They, like it is, they're still going to win games. With that strike force of theirs, even with Salah out, they they have a, the side to break down and beat most teams. But when they come up against a big team, I just don't see how they're going to have a defence to hold them out. I think this massively, massively dampens their chances of retaining the title.
0: It's definitely going to have an impact, isn't it? Having said that, they're... Defence hasn't been at its best all season. I don't think even before Van Dyke got injured, they weren't the same solid team defensively as we saw last year. However, when we're talking about title challenges, one of the things that made them a title contender last year was how defensively solid they were, which enabled them to keep plenty of clean sheets. And... You know Those games that you don't concede goals, you've always got a chance of getting a goal right at the end and winning the match. And I think they're really going to struggle to keep clean sheets. Angus, you say they're going to struggle against the big teams, keeping them out. I think there's there's plenty of teams in the, the mid middle part of the table, even the bottom half of the table, that have got the firepower up top to cause them trouble as well anyway. I certainly think Southampton will cause them trouble if they come up against that kind of defence. I think... Wolves have got the ability to cause them trouble, Leeds have got the ability to cause them trouble. There's plenty of teams out there that are gonna be going for it, thinking this is our best chance in a long time to get something against Liverpool. Let's go for it, let's go all out and try and get this win. They're in for a pretty tough time, and I would not want to be one of those defenders coming in to replace them because that's gonna be a really, really difficult period to get through as a as a Liverpool team, I think. And it may be where we start to see in some ways like it could be a make or break moment for Klopp in terms of can he adapt to this and still have success through it? If he can, then it it just adds another string to his bow of his managerial ability. And if he struggles, then, you know, maybe it's it's a sign that he's not, you know, that all round manager that's able to deal with every single circumstance that gets thrown at him.
1: Yeah, we'll be a tester of Klopp and his Liverpool squad. Personally I don't think he should be judged on this season if they don't do as well as last season. I mean, this amount of injuries is almost unprecedented for any club and the fact that he's having to deal with it so early on in the season is is obviously not great. And I hope that maybe in January they'll be able to strengthen. I think they'll definitely bring in some players to help with these injury crisis that they have. But um, yeah, it's very interesting because they play Leicester this weekend and yeah, that's going to be a real test for this makeshift Liverpool defence. And if anything, it's probably the best time you could be playing Liverpool. So that long overdue unbeaten streak that's looming over Anfield could well come to an end this weekend, and it honestly wouldn't surprise me. Right, we're going to move on to some listener questions now, starting with one from Alex, which is, who do you think will be top at Christmas? Yeah, it's a difficult one to answer. I mean, this is probably the most wide-open title race we've seen in a long time. A lot of clubs at the top of the table you're not used to seeing there. You've got Everton, Aston Villa, teams that have started the season really, really well. And to predict a team that's going to be top at Christmas is pretty tough. For me, though, I think it's probably going to, remain largely the same as it is right now. I think Man City will have a resurgence and they'll probably push into the top four. But for me, I think Leicester are going to be top of the table at Christmas. They've got a team that are doing well without a lot of their top players already. And I feel like if they can build on this momentum and once they welcome these players back into their team, they're only going to get stronger. And we've seen it before. Leicester are very good at maintaining momentum. And if Brendan Rodgers has got anything about him as a manager, I think he'll be able to do the same thing with them. So for me, it's a bit out there, I guess, I'm not predicting someone like Liverpool or Man City, but I'm going to go with Leicester to retain their top spot.
2: Interestingly, I was thinking along the exact same line. I think especially if they can get a win in the, the match which is coming up, it's just going to give them such a confidence going forward. And we know if Fardy stays fit and he, he just gets the goals and they've got their better defenders still to come back. It's all coming together at the right time for them. And with the building of injuries at Liverpool, Man City improving, but still not looking quite themselves and are always one more injury away up front. I know Jesus is back at the moment, but I think they'll be struggling again.
0: See, I'm I'm almost going to contradict what I just said about how I think Liverpool will struggle with their sort of weakened defence. I do think Leicester have got a really good chance of being top at Christmas, looking at their fixtures. I think it really, it sounds silly to say this, but it almost hinges on the result this weekend. If Liverpool managed to come away from this game with Leicester with a win, they've got some pretty decent looking fixtures coming up. They've, they've got Brighton after that, uh, Wolves, who haven't been as good as they were last year, then Fulham, Palace coming up. And, and obviously the, the worst game in that run is against Tottenham. But those are the games they've got before Christmas. And even with a weaker defence, there's teams in there, Fulham, Brighton and Palace, that we know routinely have struggled to score goals this season anyway, so maybe the weekend defence won't have that much of a difference for Liverpool. You can still see them coming away from with a pretty good points tally from that, and potentially being up there at the top. I do think it will be between Liverpool and Leicester, and I think this Sunday we'll, we'll maybe get a better indication of which way it's going to go. Um, but if if you want a definitive answer from me on, on this occasion, I'm going to go with Liverpool just to be different from you guys.
2: Do neither of you think that Spurs could be in the running? Because... Obviously, with that strike force of theirs, they've been doing so well this season.
0: No, I don't think so at all. I think they've started to slow down the last couple of games anyway. If you look at all of their stats, not just the goals they're scoring, but chances created, shots on goal, the last few games, they're massively lower than they were the first few games of the season. The strangest thing about that is they've arguably had easier fixtures the last few games than they did at the start. I think Spurs have started explosively. They've still got the potential to do really well, but I just don't think they've got the the ability to carry that on for an extended period of time.
1: Yeah, for me, I feel the same way. Um, I think everybody expected once Bale came into the team for there to be fireworks, but I think the fireworks have already come this season for Tottenham. They kind of started so well. If anything, they didn't really need like someone like Bale coming in and ruining the synergy that they had up front. For me, it's confused the situation a little bit for Spurs in an attacking sense. And as we've seen in the past, they they're quite likely to concede soft goals along the way as well. So whilst I think they'll pick up points between now and Christmas, I can't see them being top of the league and, you know, Tottenham are notoriously bottle jobs anyway. So I just don't see them following through with their form that they've had so far.
2: And we have another question this week. Um, if you were given the full backing from Stan Kroenke in January, who would you sign to fix this Arsenal f- team? I couldn't remember how you pronounce his name.
0: I think you got it right. Is that right? Yeah, you got it right. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a really good question because we're we're all very quick to sort of criticise the way Arsenal are playing and the fact they don't necessarily have the right players. But it's also it's a very different matter to look at what you would do to change it, given the the option and given the the funds to do so. I mean, the obvious. Answer if you said if you were given the full backing in January, we'll we'll have Messi and Ronaldo in, please, and stick the rest of Man City and Liverpool's team behind them. But being realistic in terms of what they actually need, without wanting to go into it in too much detail, I think if you were to look at two players that they could really do with, I think, and and two players that potentially realistically they could sign, Ngolo Kante from Chelsea, who's not looking like he's got his position in that team nailed down this season because of the other options they've got, I think he would add some midfield stability in there that and, and sort of a commander role in that midfield that would do them really well. Um, and I also think he would have a positive impact on their defence. He'd give them a bit more security and a bit more backing from a midfield position. And then in terms of someone that they've been missing for a while, I think since the likes of Ramsey and Ozil have no longer been playing for them, I see Grealish as being like the absolute natural replacement for for them. I don't think it will happen because I think he'll if he does leave, he'll get better offers from elsewhere. But I think Arsenal would absolutely love to have Grealish in their team at the moment. He's the kind of player that would create those chances and those moments that they've not had since, as I said, Ozil stopped playing or, or you know Ramsey, who I think was incredibly underrated in his time at Arsenal as well.
1: Yes, yeah, interesting. I think Arsenal need a lot of improvements, like almost all over the pitch. Yes, they strengthened in the summer with Thomas Partey and a couple of other signings. But really, when you break down how poor they've been so far this season, there are probably other parts of the pitch that are more glaring if anything because they've looked so poor in those areas especially down the wings and offensively Aubameyang's been half the player he was last season playing out on the wing I don't think he should be playing there like we said last week I don't think he should be a winger I think he deserves to be through the middle that's where he's been at his best in the past and then when you're looking at Arsenal's wingers at the moment they only have Willian and you know like a makeshift Lacazette a left wing or something like that so I think they definitely need a winger uh, it's very difficult to say who they should be signing because there are so many targets out there that they could sign. Realistic ones, I guess you could look in the Premier League like Adama Traore. But is he going to make the step up to Arsenal, someone like that? Um, it's difficult to say because it's difficult for Arsenal to be able to attract top quality players now when they're not elite or Champions League. So another one they could look at is Madison. Uh, you know, attacking playmaker, a bit like Ozil was. And we saw how impactful he was for Arsenal for many years. I think Madison could come in and do a very similar job. But again, would he leave Leicester to go to Arsenal? I don't know. And then the other part of the pitch I think they need improvement is that centre-back. Yes, they brought in Gabriel in the summer, but they definitely need someone else in there. You can't keep partnering him with Holding. I don't think that's a long-term partnership for Arsenal. And I don't think it offers them much stability at the back. So someone maybe like Umtiti, maybe from Barcelona, who's fallen out of favour recently. Or Upper Mencano from Leipzig. He's been you know, shopped around a lot. We've seen him linked to United, Chelsea, City, but maybe Arsenal could stump up the cash. I mean, in this scenario, they definitely can, but, you know, I think they definitely need these game-changing signings now because they're in danger of being left behind the top four teams. And, you know, they've always been a top four team, but of recent seasons, they've, you know, struggled to make top six. So they need at least three or four top quality signings and
2: it probably isn't going to happen in January, but if they do get full backing, then why not? I've gone with all money, Every bit of money you'd ever want. Not quite to the, obviously, the Messi-Ronaldo front, but I said Haaland to go up top. I'd say a Haaland and Aubameyang strike partnership would be incredible. Um, I agree with dropping Grealish into that side. I think, realistically, yes, Haaland's probably never going to happen for them. Grealish would be an incredible signing for Arsenal. I think he's the exact type of player they need. They need someone who's going to get the ball... He's got the confidence to break teams down, just like he was doing for England the other night. He'll pick it up. He'll make a difference. And like you said, defence is still such a weak point for Arsenal. And it's definitely improving. Umtiti's a great shout, I think, at centre-back. I think he's definitely... And I also thought about Alfonso Davies from Bayern Munich at left-back. If you had all the money in the world, you'd be considering going there. But... The other one, not so much. He's going to cost a load of money. I think he'd probably be relatively cheap because it's come to the end of his career. But David Alaba at, from Bayern Munich, I think, would be a very good signing for But my only worry at that point is you're getting another ageing defender coming into your side, and it's it's finding that right balance. So yeah, thanks thanks a lot, Joe. That's a really interesting question. It's it's a team who. Definitely need some changes and some signings coming in. So hopefully they will get the backing in general, because if not, our going to find it very difficult to get that side moving up towards those Champions League spots, I think. OK, moving on to the predictions for this weekend coming in the Premier
1: League. Um, right, we're just going to start straight away with Newcastle-Chelsea, the first game on Saturday. Newcastle have been patchy, as we've seen. Got a terrible result last time out for them at Southampton. Chelsea, much improved. Firepower. Defensive stability. Looked like the team probably Chelsea fans wanted at the start of the season. Yeah, I've got to go Chelsea this one again. I think they're going to go from strength to strength at this point in the season. And Newcastle are about as unpredictable as the politicians in Parliament. So I'm going to go for a 2-1
2: Chelsea win. I can only see one winner in this game. Uh, I think Chelsea just going to be all over Newcastle. I'm going to go for a 2-0 win to Chelsea and comfortable.
0: Yeah, it makes it three Chelsea wins from all of us. I'm going with a 3-1 Chelsea win. Um, They're they're looking really, really good going forward at the moment. So, um, yeah, definitely can see them getting plenty of goals. But I do think Newcastle will get a goal in this because we've seen that they can do that. But, yeah, they're they're not going to get anything from this game, I don't think. Um, Moving on to the next game, high-flying Aston Villa are taking on Brighton, who started off the season with some really good-looking form, but are, are struggling to turn that into points. Um, I think this could be more of the same, unfortunately. I've I've undernered about Aston Villa this season. I've I've gone from thinking they're looking amazing to thinking that it's all a fluke, to thinking that they're going to win the league. To I, I don't know what to think with them. But I do think they're going to win this game. I'm going to go for a fairly comfortable 2-0 win for them.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go along the similar lines as you. Um, Aston Villa have looked very impressive this season. Jack Grealish running the show. Brighton have kind of flattered to the seeds. They've been good in patches, but they're not picking up the results they've probably warranted. Unfortunately, I can't see that trends changing in this game. Um, Aston Villa have looked too good to kind of go against them. So I'm just going to go for a narrow 1-0. I think it will be a better performance from Brighton, but ultimately
2: not enough to get any points. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with both of you guys again. I think Villa possibly won't have a a lot of the possession. I think Brighton might have more of the ball, but I think they just don't have the cutting edge. They, They don't have the cutting edge up top. So I think Villa, through Grealish and through We'll just get the goal, so 2-1 to Villa.
1: Right, next up we've got Tottenham-Man City. Uh, pretty big game, really. Man City arguably need a result in this game more than Tottenham uh, to build that momentum up after their draw against Liverpool last time. Tottenham again, probably need to build on their. Yes, they got a win against West Brom, but it wasn't impressive. I think this game's got goals written all over it. But I'm going to go for a draw, so I'm going to go for a score draw in 2-1. all.
2: It is a big match. I think, I think we're going to see a bit more of the pragmatic Mourinho come back. Spurs will be looking to sit a little bit deeper and catch City on the break. And I think that will work to their favour. So I'm actually going to go for a Spurs win. I think I'm going to go a 2-1 Spurs win.
0: Right, so the first game that we're not all going to agree on the scoreline, which is nice. I'm, I'm going to go the other way and say I think Man City will win this game. De Bruyne being back makes a huge difference for City. He's in some of his best form at the moment. He's getting assists all over the shop. He looked really good for Belgium the other day against England. Absolutely ran the show in that game. So I think if he if he stays at that top form, I feel like he could pick apart Tottenham's defence a bit and um, yeah, get the win for Man City. Um, moving uh, across to Old Trafford, Manchester United are taken on West Brom. West Brom who are languishing towards the bottom of the table and Man United who are really struggling to get any grip whilst trying to climb up the table. So it could be a really interesting one. I feel like this could be the kind of game Man United will enjoy themselves in. Um, There's been a lot of pressure on them recently to perform, and this is the kind of game where they probably will get the chance to. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they get quite a few goals in this, especially if Fernandes is on the same kind of form as he was in the last game they played. So I'm going to go for Manchester United 4, West Brom 2. Oh, interesting. Lots
2: of goals. Um, I also think this is the type of game which United will enjoy. I think the players will enjoy this type of game. I see it being a bit more convincing, I'd say. I am going for United three nil win. I just I don't see where West Brom could really hurt United. So yeah, 3 0. Similar lines to both of you guys. Uh don't see much from
1: West Brom in this game. United obviously put in a much better performance against Everton and I think it's gonna be a repeat performance actually I'm gonna go for another three one win for Man United in that one.
2: Talking of Everton they our next game of the week. So Everton against Fulham Sadly, I, I don't see Fulham's run getting any better. I, I think they've been struggling throughout the season. They're going to continue. I'm going to go with Everton to recapture a bit of their form. Ancelotti's had the international break with his players to hopefully bed in some of his ideas again and get them playing back the way they were. And I think their squad needed the rest as well. So I'm going to go with Everton 2-1 win. Yeah, it's difficult to look past Everton in this one.
1: Um, They've got Richarlison coming back from injury and I think Hamas Rodriguez will be fully rested after the international break. So, yeah, I do think Everton are going to do enough, I guess, to get a win in this game. Um, Fulham have obviously improved a lot lately, but I still think they're going to succumb to a 2-1 loss in this one.
0: Yeah, I think exactly what you said, Matt. I think Richarlison and Rodriguez being back will make all the difference for Everton. Um, I don't actually think they'll concede in this, mainly because I just can't see Fulham scoring. Fulham didn't look like they were ever going to score against West Ham and arguably Everton have had the better performances so far, so you'd think they'll find it even harder to score against Everton. Uh, I'm going to go for a 3-0 win to Everton. And yeah, tying in very nicely again. Speaking of West Ham, we move on to West Ham's visit to Sheffield United. Two really difficult games for West Ham last year against Sheffield. It was a 1-1 draw and a 1-0 defeat. Um, So Sheffield arguably getting the upper hand in that game. But as we've said many, many times on this, they're just Sheffield are a completely different side this year. Having said that, it is exactly the kind of game that West Ham typically struggle in, the games that you'd expect them to win. Um, We saw glimpses of that against Fulham. So I'm going to go for a fairly conservative 1-1 draw.
1: Snap. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything you just said um i didn't realize that the games last season had been that close but if anything that kind of alludes to my prediction i think one all seems about right and i do think sheffield united will start picking up points at least at home i don't think they'll be able to get the win in this one but yeah a one all draw i think would be a good result for both teams
2: i also seeing it being a, a, a draw however i'm gonna go for a bit of a boring one i'm sorry but I, i'm gonna go for the nil nil sheffield united are just gonna sit deep and west ham at times they were good in the first half against Fulham, but once they've run out of ideas, you your team really started to struggle, Peter. I, I fear if Antonio's still not 100% fit, I don't see where the goals come for West Ham. So, 0-0. Right, next up, we've got Leeds versus Arsenal. Uh, intriguing matchup, really, because, you know,
1: Leeds have been iffy at best this season. They've pulled out good results and then equally some bad ones. And Arsenal have done exactly the same, um, picking up really good results at Old Trafford and then slumping to a 3-0 defeat at home to Aston Villa. For me, though, I'm making Leeds slight favourites in this one. I do think it benefits Leeds that they've had a lot of players stay at the club during this international break. And I think Bielsa would have just loved that time with the players to try and get his ideas across and try and cement what they've built the the first couple of weeks of the Premier League season. And as for Arsenal, I mean, if the Aston Villa game is something to go by, then, yeah, I can't see much improvement here. And they've lost Eleni as well due to COVID, so he was a mainstay in their team this season. All these things are kind of leading me to
2: to go with the Leeds win. So I'm actually going to go for a Leeds 2-1 win in this one. It's really interesting because I thought I was going to be the only one who would go with the Leeds to win this match. I've gone with Leeds very comfortably to win 2-0, which feels wrong to say, but I watched the, the FA Cup match between Leeds and Arsenal last season. I think it was FA Cup. And Leeds were the better team. Arsenal got the win on the night, but Leeds were the better side. And since then, Leeds have gone from strength to strength. They're a better team than they were 12 months ago. And Arsenal, like you said, against Filler, they were poor. I just think Leeds are arguably even a better side at the moment. Definitely got the more experienced manager for the match.
0: Yeah, it's a sad indictment on Arsenal, really, that all three of us have gone for a Leeds win here because I've got exactly the same scoreline as Matt. I've gone for a 2-1 win to Leeds. Um, I, yeah, I just... I agree with you, Angus. I watched that, that same FA Cup game last year and Leeds absolutely dominated that game from what I could see. And if they do the same this season, Arsenal are really going to struggle, especially considering, as you said, the performance Arsenal put in against Villa was so underwhelming. They can't afford a performance like that against Leeds or they will get taken apart. Um, our next game uh, coming up could, as I said earlier, could be a, a classic and could be fairly instrumental in deciding who's who's top for the, the next few weeks. Liverpool take on Leicester at Anfield. Um, Matt mentioned earlier about Liverpool's unbeaten run at Anfield. I think it's, I can't even remember how many games that stretches back now. It's its so long ago that they last lost there. It's ridiculous. But I'm predicting that, that run to come to an end here. I think it's going to be a very dramatic game. And I've gone for Liverpool uh, to lose 3 2 and Leicester
1: to come away with the three points. I've been umming and ahhing about this game for like the entirety of this week so far I just don't know which way this one's going to go obviously we've seen Liverpool have been struck so badly of injuries and I think that's definitely going to play a part in this game and Peter said just there that Anfield unbeaten run which is now standing at 63 games and yeah I think that's got to come to an end at this point point. and who better to do it than Leicester you know the best team arguably this season yeah something's telling me that they're going to get do it in this one and um, I think it's going to be a really tight game and I think it's going to
2: be just one goal to settle it and I think yeah just a 1-0 Leicester win and end the streak it's interesting today, where we've been talking about iconic moments, and where we thought about iconic moments in league, like league victories. And I wonder if this could be the one for Leicester, if this could be another start of an iconic one for them. I've also gone for the same score as Peter. Interesting, three-two, a bit of an epic game. It'd also
1: be a nice bit of poetic justice that Brendan Rodgers goes back to his old team to end that streak as well. I think that would be a really nice storyline if this one does happen, as we're predicting. Next up, a less exciting game, I guess, probably the least exciting one on this week's fixtures. Burnley, Crystal Palace. Burnley, terrible this season. Crystal Palace, before last week, I would would say the same. I'd have said terrible, but they got that big win against Leeds and Burnley definitely need a result in this game. And for that reason alone, probably making quite an out there prediction at this point, I'm going to go for a Burnley win. Um, They've been better at home this season. And I think one goal will probably be enough to settle it. So I'm just going to go for a scrappy 1-0 for Burnley.
0: I'm uh, I'm I'm not going to go too different, but I'm just going to take away Burnley's goal and, and say so it's going to be a nil-nil. It's, it, there's always one every week that I just say looks like a really, really boring match, and unfortunately it's this one. Burnley just can't get the ball in the back of the net this season. They're just awful, really. I, I really don't enjoy watching them, and they're, they're really not doing anything for me. So, yeah, nil-nil.
2: Neither team likes to have the ball in possession, which leads us to being likely to be a f- either... An end-to-end game where they're just both counter-attacking each other, but more likely what Peter said, where it's going to be very dull and very boring. However, I can. Burnley has to get a win at some point in the season. And I'm actually going to go with a 2-0 win for Burnley, but with a penalty and a really scrappy goal. Sounds about right, to be fair. Uh, Burnley renowned for
1: their scrappy goals. Right, and finally, this game week we have Wolves hosting Southampton. Big game again for Southampton, obviously been on great form so far this season, fourth place in the league. Then you look at Wolves, who have been slowly getting better. Um, Luno won Manager of the Month last month, so they're picking up some form now. It's, it's kind of a good game for both teams to see where they're really at, I think. Whoever gets the result in this game can definitely say they deserve to be where they are on the table. For me, I think it's going to be a really tight game. I think it's probably the toughest game we've had since the Spurs game. So I think it'll be a
2: good test of how good we are. So I'm going to go for a one-all and a point apiece. Yeah, I've been really struggling with this one. I I keep looking at going, please, please just beat them. The way they play is a big threat to how our side is. Um, Obviously, we've not got the quickest centre-backs. And once Traor gets on the pitch, he could be a real threat against us. Hopefully, by that point, we've already had a lead. I'm going to go with a 2 all draw. And heartbreakingly, a late equaliser for Wolves.
0: I found this one really difficult to call as well. I was looking at stats and previous games and, you know, where where the team's form is at. And obviously we know Southampton are on some really good form. But then I think Wolves' form has kind of gone under the radar a bit. They, they lost to Leicester in their last game, but it was only a 1-0 defeat. Since they lost 4-0 to West Ham in what, in all honesty, was a bit of a freak result, considering where the two teams were at last season, since that game, in the last five fixtures, Wolves have only conceded two goals in five games, which is very defensively solid, and I feel like they've really found their feet in defence now. That that sort of 3-1 defeat to Man City, followed by a 4-0 defeat to West Ham seems to have kind of woken them up to maybe a couple of defensive frailties they had, and they've now solidified. So I can see Southampton struggling to break them down. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win to Wolves in this game. Form would suggest that actually Southampton should win this, but... I just feel like Wolves might just have a bit too much and I almost feel like Wolves want this more given some of the defeats they've suffered already so far this season.
1: All right, that's predictions done for another week. Um, Before we sign off, we'd just like to announce our first giveaway of the season. Um, Starting next week, you could be in with a chance of winning Football Manager 2021. Make sure you tune in to the episode next week to find out all the details and make sure you are following us on social media as well so you don't miss any of the updates. But that brings an end to another episode of the 3PL Podcast. A massive thank you again to all our listeners. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We'll be back next week breaking down all the Premier League action from this weekend. And in the meantime, you can follow us on all of our social medias at 3PL Podcast on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And we'll be catching you again next week.